Well, good morning, Journey. Well, November is upon us, and before I dive into the sermon this week, uh, I want to say a few words about this year's special harvest offering coming up in November. You know, there have been kingdom-building men and women here at Journey for decades upon decades, really since its founding. Years ago, this church had a vision to grow their impact as kingdom-builders. So really from our beginnings almost 100 years ago in 1926 to our relocation here on the highway in 1978, uh, their desire has been to reach the lost. And back in 2006, this church underwent a total remodel and, and name change, and it became known as Journey Christian Church. And at that time, the sanctuary that we are now seated in was built, and the old sanctuary, which is the Fellowship Hall now, was remodeled, and all that took place. And then in two, 2012, the education wing was built, and the office wing, and all of those efforts really reflect the vision and heart of this church's legacy to reach the lost and make disciples. Now those additions to, the, to this building and the remodel, all of that stuff came with a price tag of about $2.1 million. And that was a big step of faith to take over the years to do that. But now, get this journey, that debt is down to $150,000. So from a new guy standpoint, from, you know, the, the new person here as a part of the church family, that's pretty amazing to be able to pay down debt like that. So to me, it shows three things about this church family. One, you guys are generous. You, you give when the need is there. Two, you're kingdom-minded. You, you think beyond a, a, the journey building itself. And three, you want to see the gospel impact as many lives as possible. Now, that kingdom-minded approach has really fueled our vision, which we currently state as helping people find, follow, and be like Jesus. So now, Journey, let, let's finish it. L let's finish it. And with this year's special harvest offering, man, let's pay off that $150,000 debt so that we can continue to be kingdom builders in the future. So let's move beyond this building. Let's move beyond the walls and really impact our community and surrounding communities of this, of this region of northeast Nebraska and really beyond and impact the world through our missions and ministry. So over these next several weeks, I want to encourage you and challenge you to step into this goal of removing the debt and giving towards the harvest offering. But the harvest offering is a whole lot more than just debt reduction. It's, it's about giving back to our communities, giving back to and meeting needs of families in our communities. In fact, 30% of the money that we raise through this offering goes right back into communities by meeting families and needs. And we work with our local schools and the, and the surrounding communities to identify those families with needs and give directly to those families. So as leaders, we do, we do ask that you give to this harvest offering over and above your regular gifts to Journey. And, and we, we know that harvest is going well, grain prices are good, harvest is good, so let's pay off this debt and step into a, a new season of kingdom building, a, a new season of disciple making. 
So practically speaking, you can give towards the harvest offering in, in three different ways. You can mail in a check to the building. You can give online at jccwayne.org. And if you go that route, just click the Give button and then select Harvest Offering in the drop-down menu. You can use the black boxes around the building. Uh, you could drop in your cash check or firstborn child, you know. <laughs> now, if, if, you, if you do that, just uh, we ask that you designate Harvest on the envelope or on your check, or if you drop in your child, write Harvest on their forehead so we know where it goes. <laughs> now, seriously, I do want to just... Uh, I want to challenge you to give to this year's harvest offering, to bless families, to cover this debt so we can focus on ministry and really move forward to a new season of disciple-making here. Well, I want to take some time this morning in our sermon to talk with you about this new season of disciple-making as a church family and what that looks like. So today I'm kind of lay, lay some groundwork uh, and, and really kind of present, I guess, a movie trailer, as it were. A little snippet of what's coming after the holidays and what our focus is going to be in 2022. Because once we turn the page on the calendar and we step into the new year, we're going to do a deep dive over a series of Sundays on what it looks like to make disciples. What it is, how we do it, and, and what the benefit of it is. But today... I want to focus on two things in our sermon. One, just kind of lay some foundational principles. And two, we're going to examine Luke chapter 14 and the cost of being a disciple. Now, being a disciple and making disciples really is about radically reorienting our lives around Jesus, around his purposes and his plans. So I'm not talking about just making a better version of yourself. That, that's not it. This is about putting Jesus at the center and following hard after him. So with that in mind, let me lay, lay these foundational principles, and then we'll jump into Luke chapter 14. First thing we've got to realize is that being a disciple of Jesus means that he does have priority in our life. The one, one way I defined being a disciple is right from Scripture, from Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, where it says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So a disciple, therefore, is someone that's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, which, where Jesus says, I will make you. And then thirdly, it's someone committed to the mission of Jesus, fishers of men. So disciple making then is intentionally entering into a relationship to help people trust and follow Jesus. And the way our vision states it, that, that we help people find Jesus, follow Jesus, and be like Jesus in their community, in their lives, at their work, around the world. So disciple-making is about putting Jesus as priority. Second, disciple-making, it's, it's not automatic. And by that, I mean you, you can attend church every Sunday for your entire life, and spiritual growth is not guaranteed. It just doesn't happen by osmosis. Churches are filled with people that have been raised um, at attending church, yet they remain spiritual infants or spiritually immature. So it's not automatic. Well, re related to that, then, the next principle is that disciple-making is therefore intentional. And by that, I mean it requires commitment and just intentionality in our lives in order to grow. 
So as Jesus followers, we, we need to want to grow, we need to decide to grow, and then put those steps or elements into place in order to encourage spiritual growth. But disciple-making is also a relational process. It's intentional and relational. By, by that I mean it's best done in smaller group settings. Now Sunday mornings, man, they are important. We, we need to gather together as a large group on Sunday mornings. But you know what? It's pretty easy to be anonymous on Sunday morning, isn't it? I mean, you could sneak in, sneak out without ever saying hi to anybody, without really greeting anybody. But discipleship really takes place in the smaller group setting. So that, that's why um, there's these relational components that we're putting in, into place called life groups. And next year, we're going to roll out a, a discipleship effort called Rooted, which focuses in and through life groups. And you'll hear more about that next year. But even beyond life groups, I, I encourage people to get into to even smaller group settings, like what, what I call a D group or a discipleship group. And that's three, four, five people getting together on a regular basis just for high accountability, high transparency, and just digging into Scripture together in such a way that you might not necessarily open up in a group of 10 or 12 people, but you might with a group of three guys, three girls. And then even beyond that, just sometimes it's really good to sit down one-on-one, -on -one, you know, over a cup of coffee and ask each other, you know, what's Jesus doing in your life? You know, how's your marriage going? How's the relationships going? So discipleship really takes place in that relational context. So I want to encourage that, encourage you to think about how you can be a part of a relational setting beyond Sunday morning. So discipleship is intentional, it's relational, and also discipleship is for everyone. You know, we've entitled this Luke series that we've been going through for everyone because we see that the gospel, as it's laid out, is for everyone, but so is this discipleship process. It's not just for the, the super spiritual or for, for full-time pastors. No, being a disciple and making disciple is for every one of you here today. It's, for, it's about being an everyday Jesus follower in our everyday lives. Now, I, I admit that over the years, you know, I, I've read missionary biographies and I've read the lives of some people that have done incredible things for God. And I read those stories and I think, man, I, I'm less than that. I'm, I'm not like, you know, the Billy Grahams. I, I'm not like these missionaries that have done pioneering work. And I begin to compare myself, and that's not where we need to be. Because as we read those, or as you look at their lives, you realize, you know, they're, they're ordinary men and women, but they're just sold out for Jesus. They're going all in for Jesus. So disciple-making is for everyone, and it is for you. And lastly, probably the hardest principle is that disciple-making and becoming a disciple-making church takes time. It's slow growth, but it's exponential growth. And there's no shortcut to spiritual maturity. There's no, there's no quick fix. There's no, you know, take a class and we're done type thing. It's because it's not about programs. It's about people. And you know what? When you get involved in people's lives, you find out really quick that we are messy, aren't we? You know, you peel back the layer and you realize, oh, I'm, you know, we're all pretty screwed up in some way, shape, or form. 
And when you get into discipleship, you realize that, that it is not just an easy step one, two, three, four, but sometimes it's step one, two, three, oh, and back to one. Or step one, two, three, four, and back to two. And, and spiritual growth doesn't look like that. It, it looks like this. That, that's why, you know, that's why I say it's hard because it's not really clean. And sometimes it's a whole, it's a whole sh paradigm shift. Because it's not then about programs. It's not about, you know, having a smorgasbord list of options to do, you know, on the church calendar where you can come in and say, oh, I want to do that or this. This is what I want. I don't want to do that. No, it's about focusing on the one thing, and that's making disciples. And that, and that is a paradigm shift because it's not an instant thing. You know, in our lives, we have we have everything instant, don't we? We have instant potatoes. We have instant oatmeal, instant coffee. You know, I can literally obtain a book instantly on my iPad through Kindle. If I read something or see a book I want, I hit buy and it is there instantly. You know, we have instant answers to our questions via Google. And, you know, Dory and I, we went without a microwave for four months and we thought we were going to die, you know. And it was like a glorious day when I finally got the thing mounted. Oh! And the first thing I did was, like, make microwave popcorn, you know. It's like, we, we just, that's how we live our lives. And when, and when we can't push a button and have something, we get frustrated, don't we? But discipleship is a completely different thing. It's a slow process, but it begins by all of us saying yes to Jesus. And then we, then we just realize that it's a gradual process that involves intentional habits, relational context, and it requires participation and high accountability. And that is a paradigm shift for a lot of churches out there. So it's going to be hard. And I realize as we dive into this after the holidays that it, it might be a hard road to run after. There might be pushback. And I'm kind of bracing myself for that. And I'm ready for it. But that's okay. So as we, as we look at Luke chapter 14 today, we're going to see just how hard Jesus lays out this cost of being a disciple. So if you have your Bible with you today or, or your app, open up to Luke 14, and we're going to talk about this idea of, of discipleship and, and the cost that Jesus lays out for us. So he, here's how he puts it, chapter 14 of Luke. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough, to, enough money to complete it? If you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the others is still a long way off and he will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Ah, oh, just not a whole lot of warm fuzzies coming out of that text, is there? 
You know, this isn't like the feel-good statements, you know, pump you up positive thinking type stuff. No, Jesus is laying out pretty clearly the cost of being a disciple. So Jesus moves from the crowd that day to commitment to challenge. And that's kind of where we want to go in the, in the remainder of our time here today. Jesus begins with, with this crowd. Now, the crowd are kind of the casual shoppers there that day. You know, they're the people that respond just looking when the, when the sales clerk comes up. They're the people that are just randomly scrolling through the spiritual Amazon account, but they never hit the buy button. You know, just a lot of looking, but, but they're never going to make, make, make it their own, never going to uh, step into it. But Christ's aim was never to gather appreciative crowds, but to make followers. So he, he never changed or adapted his message to the majority. So he plainly declared, here's the cost of following me. And he makes several bold demands intended to discourage the half-hearted because he's not interested in shoppers. He's not in, interested in people just randomly scrolling by. He wants people all in, all in or go, or go home. I once saw a billboard for a church um, in Omaha, and it said something like, over 100 ministry choices here at our church. And I read that, and I thought, oh, poor pastor, you know. This whole, like, smorgasbord of, like, hey, just come and pick whatever works for you. And I'm like, oh, that would be miserable to be on staff there. With, with Jesus, he's like, no, this isn't, you know, where you can kind of pick and choose. You're, you, you're either a disciple or you're not. You're either following me or you're not. And we, we learn later in the Gospels that most of the people, they went home and they didn't follow Jesus. So from this crowd, he then asks for a commitment. He takes it to, to a deeper level because he, he's not reluctant at all to ask these men and women to drop everything and follow him. I mean, that, that's how he started his ministry. He, he called men to him. They left everything and followed him. And that has been his, his method of ministry all throughout his time on earth. You know, it's an interesting phenomenon that the greater commitment that you request, you often get a greater response. You know, that's, that's how the military recruits, isn't it? You're, you're never going to see an ad on TV for, you know, special forces saying everybody makes it, you know. Join up and you're guaranteed a Ranger tab or a Green Beret. That's not how they do it. In fact, you know, usually it's the opposite. They're, they're more like, if you think you can hack it, try it. And some of the special forces uh, selection units, they have literally like a 90 to 95% dropout rate. But there's never a shortage of applicants at all, ever. You know, so Jesus is saying, do you want true meaning in life? Do you want to learn what it looks like to be a disciple? Then step away from the crowd and stay close to me. Step away from the majority and follow hard after me. Move past the curious and to the commitment. And I, I realize that all of us at some point in our lives, we, we approach Jesus with that curious level. You know, we're just kind of checking out this church thing, checking out the Jesus thing, and, and we might stay at a distance for a time. And I understand that's part of the spiritual growth process. But sooner or later, we all have to step across the line and say yes to Jesus. Say yes. So Jesus asked for a commitment 
And then he lays out a whole series of challenges that really kind of fly in the face of, of what we consider normal thinking. But that's just how Jesus rolled. This first challenge, you know, he talks about hating your family. And we read that and we think, well, Jesus didn't really mean that, did he? Well, he says, you know, unless, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his father and mother, he cannot be my disciple. Well, by hate there, Jesus does not mean like uh, an emotional, physical hatred. It, it's used in the metaphorical sense in that compared to, you know, compared to your passion and love for Jesus, it's going to look like you hate your family. Your family becomes a distant second. So from a worldly standpoint, it says, yeah, you must hate, hate your parents, hate your family. But it really becomes Jesus first and family second. And sometimes that distance is so far between the two that, that the world might think, yeah, you really do hate your family. It's like, no, I, I do love my family. Because as, as we read Scripture, you know, all throughout the Bible, it tells us that we need to love one another. But we love Jesus so much so that from a worldly standpoint, it's like, man, your family might seem a little low. But he's just talking about reprioritizing our lives around him in such a way that it might appear like hatred. But really, he's talking about a lesser love. Jesus is calling us as disciples to cultivate such a devotion for him that that attachment to anything else will seem like hatred. So he says, from a worldly standpoint, you know, we got to hate our family, hate our brothers and sisters. And then he says in verse 27 that whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You know, I've been following Jesus for 32 years of my life now. And from the very beginning, my life verse that I keep going back to time and time again is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where it says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And, and from time to time, I, I read that verse and I put my name in there to make it really personal. So I'll read it. Dave has been crucified with Christ, and Dave no longer lives, but Christ lives in Dave. And the life Dave now lives in the body, he lives by faith in the Son of God. And when, when I do it that way, I just really begin to see that following Jesus is not just about being a better version of ourselves. Because that scripture reminds us that I need to pick up my cross and that Dave has been crucified and everything about me now has to be centered upon Jesus. See, it's a total remaking is what Scripture calls us to. A total redoing, a total extreme makeover in and through Jesus Christ in our life. It's about Him, not just about me being a better person. So to carry our cross, to pick up your cross and carry it, means that He must become greater and we must become less. But I read that phrase, you know, uh, whoever does not carry their cross. Have you ever thought about how much a cross weighs? 
You know, physically speaking, if you're going to measure it in pounds, the, the uh, beam that the prisoners, the, the um, people being executed would have to carry would range between 75 and 125 pounds. So me measured in weight, you know, it's not insurmountable, but it was heavy. Measured in terms of shame, to carry your cross back in Jesus' day was the ultimate humiliation. Because when a criminal will have to carry his cross, he, they would carry it down the most busiest road in town on their way to the cru crucifixion site. So everybody that saw this criminal carrying the cross knew exactly what would, what would happen to him. They knew, they knew that this person was either a traitor or a criminal or the lowest of society because that's the kind of people that were crucified. The rich were never crucified. Roman citizens were, were never crucified. So it was this humiliating, shameful experience. Everybody saw it. So, so measured in the terms of pounds, yeah, 100 pounds-ish. Measured in the terms of shame, it was a humiliating experience. But measured in terms of suffering, there was nothing worse. So when Jesus says, carry our cross, it's not just physically picking up a piece of wood, but it's saying, hey, I'm going to step into the humiliation and shame that might come with following Jesus. I'm going to pick up and, and be okay with the suffering that might happen if we follow Jesus. That's what it means to carry our cross, to be willing to step into those things that, that the world says avoid and do anything to get away from. But Jesus says that I might call you to a place of, you know, humbling. I might call you to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Now, our cross, you know, it's a cross of self-denial, where we join in the suffering with Christ and be willing to accept that ridicule that comes. And you know what? Your cross is different than my cross. Each of our, the crosses that we carry is unique because I can't pick up yours and, and you can't pick up mine. And what God calls you to step into is different from the person next to you. But I do know that we all have one. And then Jesus says that we need to estimate the cost of what it means to follow him. So he gives us examples of construction and war, you know. So basically, if we're going to buy or build a house, we better make sure that we can afford it, right? If you're going to go buy a car, you better determine whether the car payments fit into your budget or you have the cash to pay for it. So Jesus says, you know, do some figuring before you say yes. Before you go to battle, you better determine what your troop strength is. So Jesus is setting the cost of discipleship high because he doesn't want us to step into it and then back out and say, no, nope, didn't mean it or can't handle it. No, he wants us to weigh it first, saying, okay, am, am I ready to make a commitment? Am I all in? And then go. And then probably one of the hardest verses that he ends with is that last one. Uh, verse 33 it says in the same way those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple and that's that's one of those verses where i've read throughout these years and i'm like ah oh, he doesn't really mean that does he it's like no that was just for his day just talking to his disciples he didn't really you know mean that for us in our times 
But I think Jesus is saying that we need to be willing to let go of everything to grab a hold of him. Be willing to let go of all the stuff of our life to grab hold of the one thing that really matters, and that's Jesus. So will, will Jesus call you to, to give up things, to let go of things that the world says to hang on to? Absolutely he will from time to time. Now he's not saying for all of us to sell all of our possessions and do that, but he's saying you've got to be willing to let go of things. And he might be calling you to let go of something that, that you know, that's not the case for other people. But be willing to renounce relationships, be willing to renounce desires, possessions, even our lives for the sake of the gospel. You know, I mentioned earlier that I like to read um, like bi biographies of missionaries and, and some early saints. And I brought some of these with me today. And, and every time I enter my office, these books are there. I have a whole row of just missionaries, their lives and their stories. And, I, and I, as I look at them, as I walk into my office every day, these are the people that I think of, oh, I, I, I can't be like them. Because these are incredible super saints. And l listen to some of the titles. This is the biography of Hudson Taylor. It is not death to die. And here's one on Oswald Chambers, who served in Egypt during World War I, abandoned to God. And here's one on Elizabeth Elliot, a pioneer missionary in India, A Chance to Die. And you read titles like that, it's like, yeah, that's all in. These people were all in. And sometimes I'm tempted, it's like, oh, I can't be like Oswald Chamber or, or Hudson Taylor. And then I realize that, no, these were everyday ordinary people. But they just love Jesus so much so that they're willing to give it all up for him. And they went on to do lasting ministry, lasting impact, just because they loved Jesus so much. They realized that the cost of being a Jesus follower was high. And they were willing to say yes to him. But Journey, don't be tempted to do the comparison game. Because you are no less a woman than Elizabeth Elliot. You are no less a man than Hudson Taylor was. Because God can use you to transform and impact your community, your sphere of influence. But we, we need to be willing to step into that cost of discipleship. You know, the cost is high, but the cost of non-discipleship is even greater. This journey, eternity is at stake. Lives are at stake. And if we don't take seriously this call of discipleship, lives are lost and and. You know, the, the church, the capital C church, loses its impact and becomes irrelevant. So today, I want to just challenge you to, to step into that. Prayerfully consider saying yes to Jesus, to count the cost of what it means for you to be a Jesus follower today. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for just the challenge that Jesus laid down this, in this text a text that's difficult to read, a, a text that's e that we're tempted to explain away, but nonetheless, there it is in front of us. So, Father, I, I pray for all here today that we, that we are, would be willing to lay it all down for you, to count the cost of following you and saying, yes, here I am, Lord, use me. So, Father, we just lift this up to you and pray in your name. Amen.